You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. I know my Canadian geography a little bit better. Hello, Andre. Why are we talking about geography, Michael? Well, because um, our guest today, uh, I asked him which part of Italy he's from, and his name is Matteo. Let's start there. And Matteo said he was from? I'm from Trieste, which is uh, on the top of Adriatic Sea. And you said? Uh, you must know a lot about Italian geography oh, at no, this point. Oh, no, you said, where is that? So I also said, where where is that? I mean, that's the thing. We have made no qualms about the fact that um, Italy is a weak point in my knowledge, and apparently all the agents and agencies that listen to this podcast have taken it upon themselves to educate me all right so we are we are in northern italy is where we are uh near alto adige uh we are trentino alto adige trentino alto adige yeah okay i am with uh or we're both with uh matteo apollonio yes exactly who was just explaining uh the origin of his name which was actually quite fascinating in itself. We could have made a podcast out of that. Oh, so you're just going to bury the lead on that and gloss over the fact he has an interesting name and we're going to move right on to the wine. Oh, well, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Okay, all right. He is from the uh, Grupo Mezza Corona. Yes, it is. So Mezza Corona is a, is a, is a village, okay? okay? It's a village uh, pretty important for the northern Italy history uh, because Mezza Corona was the, the last place... Uh, part of the Austrian Empire. So for a long time, we've been the border between the Italian world and the Austrian border. Okay. And uh, we became Italy just a hundred years ago. Before that, for centuries, we were part of the, Aus- the Austrian Empire, which is relevant culturally because, uh, okay, we are situated in the middle of the Alps. Okay. We are perfectly in the center of the Alps. In the middle of the Alps, there's a group of mountains that probably you heard about it which is Dolomites, okay? What's the difference between Dolomites uh, and, and the normal uh, Alps, okay? Most of the times, the rock of a uh, Alp is gray, like a Rocky Mountains. The Dolomites have a sort of a pale rock, okay? Because it's rich of calcium and magnesium. So, uh, the Dolomites are pretty famous for winter sports, of course. We have a lot of... Uh, ski races in that area, but there's also very famous because uh, it's giving a peculiar character to the white wines. So Trentino Alto Adige is a region of whites. Correct. And I remember when I when I visited the area uh, and we did a massive tasting, uh, everything seems to be in Italian and German, if I'm, cor- if I'm not, uh, if I'm correct. I yeah. am correct. I like that. I like that I can remember things. Makes me feel good. I mean, we're used to your seniors' moments on this podcast, but uh, okay, good for you, Michael. Gold and, star, and that is because you were part of the Austrian Empire and and the and German, and it's it's like you haven't you know decided to become fully Italian yet, and there was one foot in Germany and one foot in the uh, in in Italy. Yeah, well, uh, uh, let's make a step back. I mean, sure. uh, end of nineteenth century, uh, the Austrian Empire started to to have a lot of problems in many different areas because they were collecting a lot of people from many different cultures. Eastern Europe, Austria, part of Germany, northern Italy. And then step by step, uh, with the First World War, they lost and Italy won. So uh, Trentino Alto Adige became Italy. Most of people were not so happy about that. And they are still today, I know it sounds a little bit uh, weird for you, still today a lot of people missing that period, missing Austria. 
So the majority of people is still speaking German. It's not weird to hear that because even in Canada, we have yes, an entire right. province that's been part of Canada <laughs> since its origin and people there are still longing to be separate from that. So there's a little bit of politics and history in the show every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I want to continue like talking about, the, about the, the, the history, but what we usually do is we taste as we go along here. The first one that you've got for us. So you say Mezzacorona is the name of the village. But that's not the name of the winery that you're working with, or is it just like a cooperative that is the farmers of the village, and then the wines are made and you sell them? Like how how does this work? Okay, so Mezza Corona uh, is a cooperative uh, um, with a 1,480 families. Oh, okay? that's it. We are managing we are managing almost 3,000 hectares of uh, vineyards. Oh, interesting. Okay, so the average uh, land ownership is about three hectares per family. No, it's like 1.5. 1.5, okay. But you must have a, a, a variety of some people have very small, some people who have larger. That, 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 that's, that's the fact. I mean, uh, for, uh, um, it's a joke, but it's not a joke. My winemaking team, they are so happy to work in the winery because they are managing, for example, like this wine that we're going to taste right now, which is a Champenois method. Mm-hmm. When you are reading on the, on the back, on the front label, Metodo Classico in Italy, it's a Champenois method. It's yep. The same system as the Champagne. Uh, they are very happy because uh, this wine, for example, is 70% Chardonnay and 30% Pinot Noir. And they are managing more than 40 different areas of Chardonnay because we are managing 3,000 hectares. So we have a different altitude, different sun exposition, uh, different temperature. It's, it's pretty nice. So your cooperative helps the families with the viticulture then? Like there's some instruction coming from the wineries to be like, this is the chemistry that we're looking for. This is the ripeness we're looking for. Give us a call if something doesn't look right. Like, is that how it works when you're dealing with a cooperative with that many people? So we, we have six winemakers and we have a, a team of 10 agronomists. So weekly during the year, uh, the agronomists are visiting more or less all farmers. Okay. And we are organizing few meetings in the winery. And that's the reason why we, we build a sort of conference room with uh, 2,000 seats. Because all farmers are coming wow. twice per year to electing and vote for the president. Oh, you interesting. Know. Okay. That makes sense. So against the politics, you know. The president yeah. must promise every year many things. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's very important because the agronomists are suggesting a lot of things and we are organizing a lot of meetings uh, to present the new practices that we want to introduce because we are pretty careful about sustainability. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. But then finally, you as a farmer, you have the last decision if you want to follow our tips or do it by yourself. And then end of the year... When harvest starting, you will be evaluated as a school. You know, if you started, yeah, if your uh, grapes aren't good, you guys can't work with them. more, and, and if the quality is lower, you less. will be paid less. Interesting. Interesting. So um, this wine's good. This is really good. This and, is and really this, good. This has been in the LCBO before. It's not there now. I understand this is a consignment wine, um, but uh, it came through a few years ago, and it was Rotari. It's Rotari. Okay. Is that uh, do I have that right, or does there yeah, that's yeah. Put an Italian accent yeah, on that yeah. one? Rotari, yeah, yeah, and absolutely. it's a 2016, so it's, it's yeah. vintage, which so, means this has been on lees or at the very least in the bottle for quite some time. Yeah, hand harvested. Okay, and uh, so and it's a rosé. We haven't mentioned that, um, but yeah, uh, the Elsevier had both the you make both a, a, a rosé and a and, a and blanc de blanc, 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 yeah, um, which are where they're lovely, and yet again, this is also. A, a delicious bottle of wine so uh, i'm thrilled I, when i saw it I, I i did not know that it was part of the mezzo corona group 
Yeah, I mean, it's so it's $25 a bottle. You confirm yep. that with uh, Joel Wilcox, yep. who invited us here to record this podcast prior to this. Just giving a shout out to him because he's a longtime listener. <laughs> um, and he works for Woodman. Yeah, and there is, um, frankly, there's just, like, it's, there's a complexity to this wine beyond the $25. Like, I don't know if this is like a $100 bottle of champagne on the side, but I think this is something that is... Um, Definitely good competition for entry level champagne in the market. You know, it's it's crisp. It's it's got a pretty little floral nose. There's a, yeah. a little little hint of raspberry going on here. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. But it's it's really pretty. And when this podcast is over, I I may have more. Yeah, I'm gonna probably have more as well. Yeah. This is just. I mean, it's it's hard to go wrong with bubbles at this price, especially like you said, traditional method bubbles. And like, it's fascinating to hear you talk about when you're managing this many farmers. How difficult is it to maintain that that quality to make sure that every farmer is getting, uh, well, I guess, fairly paid for yeah, the work they're doing? We are promoting, at the beginning of the harvest, we are promoting a week for uh, Champenois Method Wine Base. So if you want to join the contest, let's say, it's a sort of contest, really, uh, we are evaluating your quality. And if you want to be part of the Methodo Classical Harvest, uh, you have more indication by the agronomist team because we need to, you probably make a convincing uh, um, green harvest in June. And then, you know, part of the harvest uh, will be probably a few days earlier because we want to have more acidity from your grapes. So your your harvest for Chardonnay and Pinot Noir will be divided in three, four steps. So you, you decide since the beginning in June, hey guys, I want to be part of a Metodo Classico because if your quality is responding to our request, you will be paid a little bit more. So we are receiving higher quality. So how are you guys making money then? Because if this is $25 a bottle, mm-hmm. your export price on that is is quite low. Like this has got to be one of the best bargains on the market for sparkling wine made in this way. And it says right on here, hand harvested, hand maintained. You've talked about the standards you set up for your growers. Like how is anybody making any money? Well, the difference between us and most of the uh, wineries is that they are family owned. We are a cooperative. So you must imagine that compared with a normally f- normal family-owned winery, uh, they are not living thanks to the wine. They have their own job and they have vineyards. So I don't want to say it's a hobby because finally it's not a hobby because we are paying pretty well per hectare. But generally they are, yeah, they are. I'm joking, but they are using the, the vineyards to buy the car at the end of the year or to, to, to have a nice holiday with a family. That's great. Uh, so, so that's the compromise. That's the reason why we are perceiving a different direction compared with, uh, compared to, uh, a family owned business. They, they try to make profit as much as possible. The, the, the cooperative, the families are trying to go on with the generations. Next year will be the 120th birthday of the company. So we, we are 120 years old. And so the system works pretty well. Yeah. And even the young generation, they are still going to the analogical school and they are still working in the, in the wine business. So it's not the kind of bad news that the young people are leaving the vineyards and they are going to leave to the city. So, uh, so I do have a question. So I've, I've you flipped your, the card over. I did flip the card over because I'm looking in front of us and I see Rotari. I see Mezzocorona, which I've seen in the LCBO for years. And then I see we're going to be tasting a cab later. Uh, I don't have my glasses on, so I can't read that label, but it's definitely le- different. Feudo Arancio and yeah. Stamari. It's okay. Fe- Feudo Arancio. So what are, I guess, what are these four, are they four different companies or just four companies that 
came together or, or four, labels. Just four labels that you created? How do you come up with these four and how do they decide what's going to go into each bottle? Okay, you, you, you see there the main four brands managed by the winery, but the history is that the winery 25 years ago bought two estates in Sicily. I know it looks a little bit unreasonable. People from mountains, from Alps, going to Sicily and, and buying estates in Sicily. But uh, our former general manager was one, one of the most influenced guy um, as a broker of bulk wine before becoming general manager. So he really, as many other wineries, he said, okay, let's try to, to spread a little bit the offer of our wines because we, as a big player in Italy, we are winery number nine for, for let's say, for... Um, Volume? Yeah. No, for... Or for sales. Yeah, for sales in Holy Italy. Holy smoke. Uh, we are making around 220 million. Uh, we, we were trying to spread a little bit of varietals and having available wines from different regions. That's the reason why we're also collaborating with a winery from Chianti. We are distributing some countries around the world. So trying to be a sort of multi-varietal winery. And so, so your families who are part of this business are buying a lot of Alfa Romeos. Yeah, they were not really happy, the families at the beginning, when they did, when the board decided to buy the states in Sicily, the family from, from the villas, they yeah. were a little bit skeptical about it. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, to build your business and also to diversify beyond just being local farmers and investing elsewhere, the return, like exactly. I asked you how you make money, you're now making money in other regions, well, which, you know, this industry is an industry of scale. They, so. they are shareholders. So they are, they are keen for, for them. It's pretty important, you know. This is, I think, the most business-centric podcast yeah, we've done. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're branching out. So you have wineries up in the north, and then you have wineries now in Sicily. Yeah. Uh, anywhere else? Is it a partnership in Chianti? Yeah. Well, Chianti, we, we are collaborating, but we, it's, it's not our property. Yeah. All right, so let's let's keep moving along with the wines because we have four in front yeah. of us here. The second wine is the Mezza Corona uh, Pinot Grigio, sixteen fifty at the LCBO. It also comes in one and a half liters at twenty nine dollars, so it's a little bit of a better deal if you go that route. I know Michael and uh, I apologize, uh, Matteo. We pick on Pinot Grigio often on this podcast. We do. Michael has said that Pinot Gris is the most boring grape on the planet. Yes. How is this one? That's a good question. I am enjoying this, the texture on this. This one's not not as boring as usual. Like there's, you're right. There is a texture to this wine. But personally, if I was Joel and had lined up the order of the wines, I would have poured this before the sparkling, because I think the sparkling is more interesting than this. But thank God it's a hot day outside when we're recording this, and this is feeling quite nice on the hot day. You no, know, it's it's actually got something. It's got something to it. There is that you, you said. There's a texture element. Oh yeah, it's hitting the back of the tongue like in a, the, in a nice way, but it's not trying to be more than it is. It's not trying to be Pinot Gris. It's not trying to be broad. It's it's just giving you a little bit of texture that if you were eating this with uh, eating this with food, it'd be a little bit more interesting. There's like a lime zest on the finish. I think that's a great way of, to put kind it. Kind of nice. That that that's really uh, interesting because. Pinot Grigio can be boozy water. Yep. Um, and this one actually gives me some flavor, which I'm... I'm getting I'm a like. good floral note, like white flower. Maybe a little white flower, too. Yellow apple. Yeah. Yellow apple? Uh... Yeah, I get the... Okay, blue. I'll give you yellow apple. I'll, I'll give you yellow apple. Delicious yellow apple. I'm getting yeah. the... Uh, yeah, I, I'm getting that, uh, which is nice, uh, because usually Pinot Grigio is one note. Well, yeah, but uh, I have uh, an explanation. Uh, you're completely right. It's a, it's a boring it's a boring wine most of the times. Good. 
And, um, okay, first of all, the Pinot Gris and Pinot Grigio, okay, they are, it's, it's different, you know, and the, 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 the Pinot Gris, uh, has a different DNA compared with Pinot Grigio. So most of the times I know that for people, they think that Alsace, Pinot Gris and, but, uh, it's, it's different. And then, you know, Pinot Grigio is the poorest and shyest brother in the family of Pinot, if you think about it. It's a red grape as Pinot Noir and Pinot Bianco, because most of the times people think that Pinot Grigio is a white grape, but it's not. No. And the second thing is that, okay, Pinot Grigio definitely doesn't have any expression as Pinot Noir, for example, you can recognize the red fruit. Pinot mm. Grigio is more neutral. But this is also the success of Pinot Grigio. Uh, because uh, it's a wine that you compare with food or without food. Most of the times, the audience here and the rest of the world, they are approaching the wine thanks to Pinot Grigio because it's not too aromatic, it's not too acidic. So it's a good... Uh, it's, a, it's a good entry-level wine is what you're saying. And I, and I get it. I, what, I, what I've always thought about Pinot Grigio is that whoever stripped the, the color out of it, and, and let's be honest, proper Pinot Gris and Pinot Grigio should have a little bit of yeah, color sure. because it is I a agree. gray it's a gray grape. You get a yeah. lot of flavor from the skin contact. And, and, and even even an hour or two on skins, I'm not talking making this an orange wine, but even an hour or two gives it a slight hue and gives it some really lovely flavor. Flavor and texture too. And texture. So yeah. I always like that. And and uh, I've heard two Italian wine companies, I can't remember what they are uh, claim that they are the ones who stripped the color out of Pinot Gris, and I'm like... Probably Santa Margarita. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they, they, they were the first. Yeah. Uh, okay. Colavini was another one. They claim they claimed that they did it yeah. as well. And I'm thinking, well, you bastards, why did you do that? <laughs> yeah. You've, you've absolutely killed what it could but, be. But even the, even the markets, including your institutions here, uh, apparently they are not really interested to have a, a, a blush Pinot Grigio or some skin contact, which yep. is, in my opinion, it's a pity because finally you are losing a part of the character of Pinot Grigio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, well, the, the, the last but not least is that the difference between the flat Pinot Grigio that you are many times tasted in your life and our Pinot Grigio is that the temperature variation. I mean, we are super, super, super close to glaciers, 3,500 yep. meters in a, in a 10 kilometers line from the village. So, of course, we are receiving uh, rivers with a super cold water. And during the summertime, it's cooling. So, uh, slow the, ripening, the high vi- acid, yeah. low sugar. So, you're able to get lower alcohol, but still nice maturity on the grapes. Yeah, also because, you yeah, know... 12.5% alcohol, so you can drink this without getting hammered. In, in summertime, we, we during the day, we have 30... 30 degrees uh, easily, you know? So if, if Pinot Grigio doesn't have the chance to, to have a rest during the evening with a lower temperature, like for example, the plain in Veneto, 35 during the day and 29 in the evening. Yeah. So the Pinot Grigio is, is cooking itself, you know, partially. So you can harvest early with a high acidity without aroma or harvest late, some aroma and acidity bye bye. So it's, uh. And, and then just, just to compare and contrast, we have a second Pinot Grigio. Yeah, I love that you jumped ahead and took a taste because this is one where, you know, I guess the full disclosure is like this is not something you and I would be reaching for on the shelf, but it's a very popular segment in the market right now. There's a big movement to lower alcohol. I could wave my red flag in front of the bull and say, hey, let's talk about Piquette. 
Uh, don't start talking about <laughs> that is not a proper one. Well, we're not talking about Piquet here. What we've got in front of us is a 9% alcohol, so Mezza Corona, They actually call it Pinot light Grigio. number 9. Yep. And <clears throat> I am noticing that during the rosé report, as I am tasting through that, that there are also these kind of light rosés coming through. Um, and so... I, I am not yet opposed to these wines as much as I thought I oh, would Oh, I'm be. enjoying this way more than I thought I would, but I, I am guessing, M- M- Mateo, so when you're making lower alcohol products, and I, I did a whole thing in January about like the de-alcoholized wine that's starting to come to the market, you often need to replace the texture of alcohol with something else, and that's usually with sugar. Mm-hmm. Is there a little bit more sugar left in this than in the regular? Yeah, yeah absolutely. But okay. you, you can read on the, on the front label, natural light. Why? Because if you are stopping the fermentation, you are stopping the, the growth of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, so you're stripping nothing mean, from this. But in the meantime, you, you have more residual sugar in because the fermentation is burning sugar. Yeah. So that's the reason why here uh, in the in the normal Pinot Grigio you have around four grams per liter, and yep. then you have more than double. It's almost nine, you know. It doesn't taste like nine though. No, like this is this is beautifully balanced. So is this just uh, early harvested then? Yeah, or? yeah, exactly. It's around one week uh, earlier. Wow. Yeah, Michael. Mm. I as I said, I'm not Michael. <laughs> I'd actually, if someone, I, I would actually drink this. Again, I'm not opposed to these. Lower alcohol wines. I thought for sure I would be when they first started appearing uh, for my rosé report. Uh, and I've noticed that some of them really have some some nice flavor. And if they, if they can be balanced out properly uh, with great acidity, uh, with with some flavor, and not just some kind of sugar bomb, then I, I think you get something. And yes, I, there is a sweetness to this wine. Which gives it a kind of a smoothness across the palate. And it's also lacking a bit of the concentration from the regular Pinot Grigio. Like the flavors are a little milder, but also I'm thinking about the circumstances when you and I would likely serve something like this. We're having a large group of people over, you know, we're doing a large barbecue. This is this is the sort of thing I, I likely would pick up if I was throwing like a family gathering to make sure I had something for mom or grandma. And I, I don't, yeah, exactly. or grandpa, like I don't mean to genderize like who's going to be drinking this. Um, you know, if some people just on a hot day don't want to get wicked hammered. Like this would be a really good option. The, the flavors are muted. I'm gonna flavors say. are muted. Um, but, but it still tastes like wine, and it doesn't taste correct. It doesn't taste highly manipulated like a lot of the other alcohol or dealkalized wine. wines on the market. And I've tasted some that just were terrible. Like they're so sweet and sugary. Yeah. Like wondering what are, what are you you know giving oh, for the alcohol? Okay, if, if I can if I can give a, a like a, a shot. Across the board right now, uh, I picked up because I like having non-alcoholic beer in my house. I feel like non-alcoholic beer is miles ahead of non-alcoholic wine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I picked up a six-pack of the Cronenberg um, 1664 no alcohol, and there is so much sugar to compensate for the texture. These things are borderline undrinkable, but not only that, really high in calories even yeah. compared to regular well, beer. Of the sugar that's yeah. around in them. Yeah. So Cronenberg non-alcoholic beer, bad. Mezzacorona Pinot Grigio, 9%, good. So this is not touted, touting itself, though, as a you know a lower-calorie wine. Yeah, well, uh, it was a little bit tricky when we decide how to communicate on the front label because apparently in, in, in Northern America it's more important low calories mm. and in Europe it's more important low alcohol. Okay. Uh, so we, we, had, uh, we are promoting here the product made for Europe 
And if you read on the on the on the on the front label, we are advertising the low alcohol. But yeah, in okay. in United States, there's another wine, same wine, different label, low calorie wines. Okay, yeah. but it's just lower. Like I'm guessing, what probably 20 calories lower than yeah. the regular. Like it's yeah. it's not a huge net gain. But no. I mean, I but, guess if you're drinking a whole bottle, that's like. 80 calories a bottle? Yeah. And then, and then you know, today we, we, we visit few stores and talking with the store managers and everybody was saying, yeah, but the people coming here and asking for low alcohol, low calories. Okay, this is not possible because if you want less alcohol, there's more sugar. If you want yeah. a more sh- less sugar, there's more alcohol. So it's uh, it's tricky. And mm. then you get to the point too where to, to manufacture, and it is manufacturing at that point, something with low calories, that's a wine beverage, you're very heavily manipulating it, chemically yeah, manipulating. Yeah, it. yeah, and, and that's unfortunate. This this tastes very nice. I I think uh, for the three and a half percent more alcohol, I I would go with the regular Pinot Grigio. I'd agree with that, but like I said, I think situationally, like if I was throwing a large family gathering, I'd probably pick up a couple bottles of that just for the people who are looking for lower alcohol. Like there's definitely a big movement and a larger interest to that. Well, that's you. No, I think that's, I think you probably find that's a lot of families. Could be, but I wouldn't do it. Okay. <laughs> do you want a medal? No, just okay. saying. I think uh, I I I would hope to believe that that people would would want the the flavor over the lower. Alcohol. Yeah, but the flavor is good on that. Like if 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 the option is your let's just say my dad who decides that he wants low alcohol wine. So there we go. I think I fixed my gender snafu there my dad has told me he wants me to pick up something lower alcohol for the family picnic because we just want to enjoy a little bit more and he sends me to the grocery store with that being the only thing on the list get two bottles of mezza corona pinot grigio get two bottles of something low alcohol get two bottles of retari i am going to think about grabbing this likely before a lot of the other lower alcohol because like what we've got like skinny girl on the market which does not taste good we've got like barefoot low just, calorie just low alcohol which doesn't wants taste to play good. alcoholic for a day and drink more wine <laughs> does not mean yeah but i but the point i'm just making though is it's just like you know you wouldn't you wouldn't do it but i think situationally it's more common than you would realize i would hope not okay michael (laughs) responsible consumption everybody so the last wine we've got in front of us is not i am promoting alcohol today promoting alcohol that's (laughs) what i'm doing i'm coming right out and say it well we are naturally alcohol promoters i think (laughs) Huh? What do you think? Natural alcohol promoters. Got it. All right. Sure. <laughs> we have a Cabernet Sauvignon in front of us now. So tell us about uh, Fuedo Aran... Feudo Rancho. Fuedo Rancho. Fuedo Rancho. Fuedo Rancho. Okay. So tell us about the, the name, the, the, the label. I didn't even ask you where Rotari comes from, and I should have, but uh, Fuedo Rancho. Well, Fuedo Rancho is from southwest of Sicily. Okay. So, so we are in Agrigento area, in, a, in the Valle dei Templi. Which is a temples area, okay? Uh, Four hundred meters altitude, not really far from the sea coast, but let's say in the, in the colder part of Sicily. And okay, when we bought the, the two estates, we replanted completely uh, both estates with international varieties and Grillo, Nerodavola, and um, and Cerasuolo, okay. So as a local as a local variety, we have uh, four: two whites and two reds: Cerasuolo, Nerodavola, Inzoglia, and uh, Grillo, and they're international. In this case, we are tasting Cabernet Sauvignon from Sicily. It's pretty interesting Sicily Sicily position because Sicily is in the middle 
of a new and old world, in my opinion. If you think about it, we are at the same latitude of Tunisia. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we are practically a sort of North African wine. Okay. Okay. But you are in the middle of the sea, in a windy area with a volcanic soil, uh, pretty rich. And so, yeah, I think you have a very, very peculiar expression of Cabernet Sauvignon. I think that's a great way to describe I, this. Yes, I, I don't usually expect Cabernet Sauvignon to taste yeah. like molasses, and that's what this tastes like. I got a lot of chocolate and cherry, and and, uh, and the tannins are just really silky. Tannins yeah. are super silky. For me, it's still, like, very, like... Like molasses, molasses on the nose, molasses on the palate. I'll give you the molasses now. I'm starting now that you've mentioned it because I was I kept trying to figure out what that was. It's caressing the cherry. Like I mean, it's got the cherry. You expect Cabernet Sauvignon to taste like cherry. The the cool thing about this though is it's balanced. It's not jammy. It's not over the top. But like there is a lot going on here. And I was actually surprised to see on the the text sheet that you've put in front of us. It says French Barrique because I think there's something about the molasses note and must be like the vanilla note as well where I just like I would have guessed American oak on this well recently I listened your your podcast come out uh, uh, Sagrantino oh. and, and and I agree with you when you were saying uh, that it's very important not ex- exceed with uh, with barrique and wood and it's time really to change a little bit because uh, uh, especially Sicily, you know, the, the, the power of sunlight and the, the weather conditions are um, normally uh, maturing fruit in a, in a very peculiar way. So if you think about tomato, vegetables, everything is tasty. Mm. Okay, in, I love that you tried to give Michael credit for that. I'm pretty sure we both said that. Just oh, thank you very much. Just come on. <laughs> Well, you were not agreeing about uh, uh, single vineyard and reserva. <laughs> Look, let me get some credit finally uh, over that one. That was a, that was a, a very important thing to, to, to note about how <laughs> oak is, especially in Italy, and that's because I, I visit Italy quite a bit. Um, I am noticing that they are getting away from barrique. Now you've mentioned barrique, but I'm 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 going to assume. Listen, it's, I, I think it's I think barrique. I'm going to assume this is not new. Oh, there's new. This is new. This is 100 percent new. It's new, but it's probably less than 10 percent of the wine. So it's it's a it's a it's a blend with uh. With okay, a so we're both seal. right. Yeah. Okay, okay I want. T- you're 10 percent right, and you want credit for being <laughs> right. I do. Well, I mean, there's definitely elements of new. But I mean, going yeah, back, going back 10% to the percent elements of new. Okay, but going back to the conversation if you about 10 percent on the test, okay. you would fail, and you would know. I would, but this time I got 90 percent right. <laughs> I got 90 percent. You got ten percent, and you're taking. Credit. You know, I want to. I do just want to go back, like, really quickly to, to just touch on what we were saying about the the pulling back of oak and pulling back of of new oak. It's something I've actually started to notice with some of the newer and younger wine writers who are starting to really notice that a lot of the wines that they really love are expressions of fruit and less the influence of the oak. Do you do you think that this is going to be a longer? Like you're doing the export, the export sales, so you're selling in a lot of markets. Are you seeing this being reflected in a lot of markets that people are more interested in wines that are less influenced by oak yeah. and more in fruit? Yeah, well, generally, I think uh, uh, the the daily consumption wines today for the consumers, the consumers are expecting to drink uh, authentic uh, local wines, which means even if you are using Cabernet Sauvignon, which is an international variety, but I don't want to feel the expression of the territory. So if it's from Sicily, I'm expecting uh, highlighted fruits in the glass, and I don't want to drink anything with uh, 
super oaky style, like guess the origin and win holiday in Sicily or something like that. Because many times it's very hard to understand where does it from, because it's it's so similar. Uh, so especially Sicily or Trentino, as you taste the Rotary and Pinot Grigio, it's mandatory for us. Uh, keeping the freshness and the fruit uh, of the territory because both are very special. In north you have the freshness, in south you have the 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 the, the, the flavor, the taste, the perfumes. Okay, so yes, we we're gonna manage a little bit the cabernet, but let's try to to feel it as spontaneous and expressive as possible because it's Sicily. It's not some boring place uh, in the shadow, you know. Now now this one's coming out and it's coming out in the fall. And yeah, fifteen ninety five, and that's a that's a super steal. I I would buy this just to screw with my friends, especially people who are wanting to learn about wine to blind have them blind taste this because like I think those darker and really heavier fruity notes feel more like a Rhone wine than they do like a Cabernet Sauvignon. And I'm not saying that in a in a bad way. Like it's just this this is a really interesting red wine. I agree with you that it's it's a steal, and I don't think I don't think Sicilian red wine for the most part have a like. This is my card on the table. This is what I expect from no, Sicily. I don't, no, I don't think they do. No, and right. I wouldn't have picked that from Sicily in any way, shape, or form. 100%. But I want to add something. I'm in charge of Asian countries, not in Europe and Canada. So I'm traveling and testing and uh, talking to a lot of people about my wines. And I have a lot of feedbacks. Today, more and more, there's a trend around the world that people want to have a glass of Cabernet Sauvignon. And the most important thing is the varietal. And then they are interested to taste different Cabernet Sauvignon from different parts of the world. But they are interested to have a good glass of Cab. It's not like 10 years ago, if it's not from Bordeaux, I don't want to drink it. No, no, no. I prefer something else. No, today there's more democracy in the international varieties. And the audience is more interested to spread a little bit their knowledge and tasting the same variety from different areas. Yeah, I hear a lot from people who want to try wines from different places. I also think price point dictates a big part of the conversation and at 15 bucks like this is a low risk proposition if you're if you open this expecting Bordeaux you might be a little disappointed but you only spent 16 bucks on this but if you open this expecting a good bottle of Italian wine and your usual go-to is Tuscany, like, hell yeah, you're going to yeah. be here for yeah. this. It's not going to be what you expect because you and no, I were I, not expecting this. Not just, I wouldn't even have picked this as Italian, to tell you the honest truth. I don't know where I would have gone for it. Maybe, maybe a Chilean uh, or, you know. no, no. I wouldn't I, even have gone Chile. This is too heavy for that. No, well, there's no mint, so I wouldn't have gone Chile so much. But I, I would have thought somewhere, obviously, somewhere hot, ripe. Um, but... Uh, because of the, the the silkier tannins to this one, uh, and and what feels like it doesn't feel like there's much oak to me. I I know you thought there was, but I thought there was. Just, I thought it was just all fruit. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. You don't get that much vanilla from fruit. Yeah, maybe a touch. Maybe all right. Somebody, somebody dropped a chip in there. All right. As we're getting to the end of this podcast, let's uh, let's put Mateo on the spot. What's your favorite wine that we just tasted? Well, uh, and not I, your favorite wine to sell, your no, favorite wine to drink. I, I recently tasted um, Moulin Vent Gamay from 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 Beaujolais. Oh, we're big. We're, oh yeah, we're you went all... you went outside of this. I thought, I, thought I, was gonna, guys, I was asking you to pick out of the four guys, here. I have goosebumps right now. Really, <laughs> it, it was uh, really the wine for love. You know, I was uh, tasting that wine. I was imagining me. Who as was a, the producer? As a. Uh, I'm so sorry. I don't remember right now. That's I fine. Should, I should That's tell, fine. But uh, it was he'll amazing. Look, he'll look afterwards. But Moulin Avant, we're it, big. It was amazing. We're, we're both huge Beaujolais fans. 
Um, I think yeah. he did his homework. He's just telling this to make sure that we say No, really. Things. Trust me. <laughs> uh, I, I had in Stockholm two, two weeks ago. Yeah. And I was so excited. I mean, it was impressing, really. I love it. This, yeah. Those kind of wines, spontaneous, I, you know, pretty. It's, it, it's a double, it's the thing I admire about Europeans, about Italian, Italians and French specifically, is the way they drink local wines because they have access to, without any dispute, some of the best wines in the world. But, yes, but the other side of the sword is, as someone who loves wine gets into the business, or even if you're an Italian wine lover in Rome or in Paris, uh, you know, it's still a, a, a difficult, uh, you know, mission to get your hands on accessible wines from the new world, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I'll bet you, I don't think there's anywhere in France that you could probably buy a good bottle of Canadian wine, except for ice wine, maybe in some duty-free or in some, some sure. unique cubbies. And, and, and look, in, in Italy, when I wander into the wine shop, it's you very rarely are going to find any kind of international uh, wines. You'll find some from all over Italy, but basically it's whatever region you're in is going to dominate the shelf. And then maybe, you know, if you're sitting in Tuscany, maybe you'll find a little bottom shelf where it says, you know, Sicily. All right, so Matteo, so. so Matteo, you shared these wines with us. I would like you to go back to Italy and share your curiosity for other wines with with the, your local Italians, with some of your farmers, so that they remain curious and we can all grow our markets. Yeah, well, it could be a pleasure for me really introducing you to my region, of course, Friuli and also in Trentino, other regions. So next time that you are coming to Italy, in the northern Italy, no, no. Uh, you're more than welcome. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Thank you for, for, for joining us. Uh, uh, you know, the I am uh, I'm three for four on these wines. I'm four for four on these wines. Right. Okay. But like I said, situationally, right? But I'm, but I'm, but I'm, I'm like, I'm really, really, really happy with the cab, and I've always liked this, uh, this uh, sparkling. So, you know, I think we may be ordering some of the sparkling. I think that we'll be split in a case of that. I think there's got to be some. Put, I, I need some of that wine again in my life. All right, support the podcast. Two guys talking wine slash uh, wait Patreon slash two guys talking wine. Wow, I can't believe I misfired on that. Oh. Uh, I'm Andre Prue from AndreWineReview.ca. If you visit the website, I actually have some new reviews up there, and I'm working on a few more. Look at you, and you're heading off to Burgundy. Uh, yeah. By the time this podcast airs, I'll be back like oh. four weeks ago. Oh, all right. And then and then I'm I'm heading off to Abruzzo. But again, and you were back, back four weeks ago. I can't believe we're going to be in Europe at the same time. Oh, I think we're going to try to put something together. I bought a nice toy today that um, I'm sure people will hear about down the road. Does it buzz? No, it doesn't. I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. You can find me as the grape guy in most places uh, these days. uh, And sometimes as Michael Pincus would like to thank... I'm going to get this right. I'm going to do it. Matteo Matteo Apollonio. Oh, we both said it at the same time. Thanks, guys. Excellent. Thank you, Matteo. Thank you so much. Um, from Take us away. Corona. Uh, look for the Fuedo at Feudo Arancio. Damn it, he says it so much better than I do. <laughs> Feudo Arancio. Uh, and the Mezzo Corona wines uh, at the LCBO. Say it. <sighs> Good Say night. it. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.